Well, good morning. Um, it's good to see you all this morning. Today, uh, man, it's special getting to dedicate my baby. Really exciting. Um, we're going to be in Proverbs this morning. We're going to start in Proverbs. We're going to be jumping around just a little bit. But Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, um, it'll be on the screens. But before we get into it, let's pray. Father, you are good. That you would allow us to be here in this morning and worship, God, that you would uh, wake us up and give us a place where we can freely just sing to you. God, we ask this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Father, I ask that it would be your words and not mine. Father, I love you. I pray you. In your name I pray. Amen. So this morning as I preach, I am not just talking to you guys, I am talking to myself. When I think about what I'm saying here today, like this is something I need to hear and I need to be reminded of all the time. So this is pretty personal this morning. We're going to read Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It's on the screen. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. A little story about me. This is going to be fun. My dad's here today. and He's going to laugh a little bit about this. But growing up in my house, you had chores, Right? Maybe that was picking up sticks in the yard or mowing the yard or something as simple as cleaning your own room, doing the dishes. Something that sticks out in my mind, though, that was a very constant, no matter what season it was, no matter what was happening, it was getting the bathroom trash. <laughs> and so we had little trash cans next to each of the toilets in the house, in the bathrooms. And at the end of the day, every night, we would go get those and dump them in the main trash can in the kitchen and dad would take it out. Okay, so when I guess I was probably about five or six, you know, old enough to carry a trash can to the kitchen, you know, it's, dad said, okay, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to say, Will, go get the bathroom trash. You're going to grab the trash from each room. You're going to bring it to the trash can and dump it in there. Okay, so, you know, I do this. It's not hard. It's very simple. Something you just give someone right when they start off doing chores and, and learning how to be a part of a family. Because in the Stacy house, we don't leave trash in the trash cans because it'll stink up the house over the night, overnight. So you've got to get rid of it. That night. Okay, so by the time, you know, I, I, so I start doing that. You know, by the time I get to be 12, 13, I get a little rebellious. You know how kids get, right? You get 12, 13, you're like, Dad, I'm playing video games. I don't want to go get the trash. Or I'm reading a book. I don't want to get the trash. Or I'm watching my show. I can't. Back then, there wasn't DVR, kids. I know you don't know what that's like, not being able to pause something. But back then, it's like, no, my show. I'm going to wait for the commercial. So there becomes this little argument. It's like, I don't know if I really want to do that. Like, I, I want to do what I want to do. But, you know, we had to have a talk. Like, look, Will, if, if you're in this family, we do chores. And we work together we, to make this house work. All right? And so when I ask you to go get the bathroom trash, you're going to go get the bathroom trash. Now, I'm sure I didn't take that very well. I'm sure there was a whooping or two over it. But eventually... We got to a good spot, you know, and I'd be, you know, 16, 17, 18, getting older, and I'm using the restroom before I go to bed, or I'm brushing my teeth, and I see it there, and I'm like, Dad's going to ask for it, so I might as well just take it. I might as well just take care of the chore right now, and so, you know, maybe, it probably wasn't all the time, but I'm sure there was a time or two where he was pleasantly surprised. There's no trash in the trash cans. Look at this. So, um... Why do I tell you that story? It's a silly story, yes, but that there is a picture of discipleship. It's this idea that from an early age, 
We're taught how to do something so that when we get older, it's automatic. Now I have my own home. I have my own child. And so when I see that the trash is full, I'm like, well, I'm going to take it out instead of just letting it sit there and be stinky. And I'm sure I could be better about it. You know, I'm getting used to having my own house. But we teach our children things when they're young so that when they're older, it's something they do without thinking about it. Train up your child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. So what does that have to do with today? Well, we're talking about discipleship. And so I thought discipleship was an important topic because we had some families up here this morning, me being one of them, and I'm thinking, okay, now that I have this child, how do I help get them through life knowing Jesus? How do I get them from here to there and then love God? And when I send them out of my home, I can be sure that they're going to follow him when I'm not around. Just like my dad is sure I take the trash out. So let's jump over to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. So where do we find the perfect example in Scripture? Well, give me the Sunday school answer. What is it? Jesus. Jesus. Yes. Jesus always gives us the perfect example. And so we're going to look at Jesus' perfect example of discipleship. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It'll be on the screens. I'm going to read it here. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's pretty cool. I think a lot of times we emphasize that immediately, and yeah, that's super important, but for today, I want to emphasize they followed him. They may have heard something about Jesus. They may have seen him do something so far, but for some reason, these men, Jesus called them, and they said, yes, I'm coming. Okay, I'm going to follow you. How is that a picture of discipleship for us? Well, my daughter, Charlotte, one day, She's going to accept Jesus, and I'm going to hey, go, say, Charlotte, okay, you accepted Jesus. You're part of his family. Now follow me, and we're going to learn how to serve Jesus. So these men, right, we know what happens. The next verse I'm going to read is all the way in Matthew chapter 28. And so in between this time, what do these men do? They follow Jesus. They see him do miracles. He turns water into wine. He heals the leper. He tells the lame to walk. He tells the blind to see he even, healed, he even raises people from the dead. Like Jesus, they watch him do all these incredible things. And Jesus just says, follow me. Also, right, Jesus teaches them ways to live. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. The disciples one day, they ask, how do we pray like you pray, Jesus? And Jesus gives them a way to pray. And then as they're following Jesus, they see him have compassion on others. They see him have dinner with the sinners and the tax collectors. He goes to the woman at the well, right? He goes to these people who are hurting and broken, and he loves them. For three years, these men get to watch Jesus do this very thing. He says, follow me, and we don't see a whole lot of them actually doing ministry. They're just eyes on Jesus, just watching what he does every step of the way. And even after these men had walked with Jesus for three years, They weren't perfect. They still made mistakes, right? 
We see Peter, who ends up being the rock that Christ builds his church on, deny Christ three times right before he goes to the cross. So they still mess up. Even though, they've, even though the perfect example was given to them in Jesus, they still mess it up. But that's okay. Because Jesus dies, right? We know that. Jesus dies and he goes into the grave for three days and then he rises again. Amen. And then he comes back a couple times and he sees his disciples and he sees his followers. And we're going to read Matthew chapter 28. What does he tell them after these three years that he's had with them to show them how to live? He tells them in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says, it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They follow him for three years, and Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He said, I gave you all the tools for these three years. You followed me. You watched me. We did this together. I taught you how to pray. And now it's your turn to go and do likewise. This is the example that Jesus sets for us. So now what do we do? And that's what we're going to talk about next. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. There's a lot of scripture today. Write this scripture down and go back over it. Please do. But this, uh, this is good stuff. So Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, it's on the screen. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The author of Hebrews is, is talking to this group of people and he's telling them there's two types of people. There's two types of Christians. We've got Christians who are on milk and Christians who are on solid food. Like my baby Charlotte, she's drinking milk right now. What a great example, right? When your baby is born, they completely need you. Charlotte can't do anything by herself. She's looking at me. <laughs> can't do anything by herself. We change her, we feed her, we clothe her, we put her down to sleep, we soothe her, and then it's going to be that way for a while. And then eventually she'll learn to do things, and she'll learn how to take out the trash, right? <laughs> what a great day that'll be, right? Um, so <laughs> Charlotte is an infant. She's a, a human, normal infant who can't do things for her own. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us in his example is that when someone first accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and says, I'm going to have a relationship with him, they are the same way. No matter what age you are, you're, you're 8, you're 14, you're 40, it doesn't matter. When, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't know how to be a Christian. We're given a tool, right? We're given Scripture, but what was Jesus' example? Jesus' example was to walk alongside those people. He called these men to follow him. They had no idea what they were following him into. And no idea what was going to happen. But they saw all these amazing things. And they were taught these lessons. And so that is our job now 
as those who are on solid food, who have matured in the faith and learned how to distinguish good and evil. Now it's our job to go to these people who first accept Christ as their Lord and Savior and say, hey, follow me, and you're going to learn how to follow Christ. We're going to train them up, right, in the way they should go so that as they mature in their faith, they're not going to depart from it. Imagine having a baby and then just leaving it. And what's going to happen, right? The baby's not going to make it. That would be terrible. The same happens sometimes in our faith. We accept Jesus and we're really excited and we're pumped up because we have this relationship with God now. And then sometimes we as the church fail and leave them on their own. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to read their Bible. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to have compassion on others. So it becomes our duty as the church to disciple them. This is where I really feel like I'm speaking to myself because I think about what we talked about today. And one day Charlotte, God willing, is going to become a believer and accept Christ as her Lord and Savior. And from that day on, it's my duty as her parent to make sure that she's being trained up in the way she should go so that when she leaves my house at 18 to go work or to go to college, that I know that God's got her and she's got a relationship with him and she knows how to walk. So here's my, my challenge for the day, right? This all starts in the home. I did some math. My dad was an algebra teacher. <laughs> I did some math. And I found out your kids, they spend, if, if your kid is coming to every single event that we do in the youth, we're gonna spend a, I'm going to spend 120 hours with your student, or Lauren is going to spend 120 hours with your child, over the next school year. That's, you know, August to May. Okay, about 120 hours. It's about three hours a week. You could do the math if you want. But 120 hours that I get to spend with them. And during that time, I'm on my A game, right? I'm standing up here. I'm telling them about the truths of Scripture. We're playing games. It's all programmed, and it's really exciting. But I also did some more math. And over the next school year, you as a parent were going to spend over 2,000 hours with your child. Now, I, you know, took out all the time they're in school and, like, the time they have to sleep, but I didn't take out any time for, like, softball or for baseball or something like that. But if you, if you take all that time, that's 2,000 hours. I only get about 5% of the time, and on that time, I'm, I'm pumped up, and I'm talking about Jesus, and I'm really digging in trying to get them to learn something. So what I'm trying to say here, right, is that you have the most influence over your kid. You as a parent, I mean, even as a grandparent, you have a lot of influence over your grandchild. Time that you can spend with them, time that you can talk to them about things. So your job as a parent is to use that time, every moment of that time that you can, to point your child to Jesus. Dylan, turn your phone off. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. But you have all that time. So over these 18 years, you have all that time as well. So the challenge for me, I'm speaking to myself, not just for, to you, but the challenge for us as parents is are we living in a way that our kids see that we're following Jesus? It doesn't stop there. 
I, used to, I heard this somewhere, and Byron and I, neither of us could really figure out where we'd heard it before, but it, you may have heard this before. If, if Christianity became illegal tomorrow, and you would be put in prison or put to death if you were a believer, could you be convicted? Could someone walk into your home? Could someone question your work friends? Could someone question your regular friends? Could someone interview your kids and find out that you believe in Jesus Christ? And then would you have to suffer that punishment? This is the question I have to ask myself. When Charlotte is getting to where she can see and understand what I'm doing, I'm going to do my best to read this in front of her as often as possible. I'm going to make sure that the music I have on the radio isn't about sex and drinking. It's about life and love. It's about Jesus. I'm going to make sure that the TV I watch is glorifying. Because what she's watching is she watching me. She becomes a Christian. She starts watching what I'm doing. It's hitting hard. I... Is it going to point her to Jesus? Because I have that 2,000 hours of school year. Am I using that time well? Are you using that time to show your kid Jesus? Or, do, or am I going to come home from work one day and just be frustrated because I just can't think of anything to teach and I'm going to be mad and I'm going to speak harshly to my wife and then she's going to be riding in the car with me and I'm going to be playing some song I shouldn't be. And that's going to lead her the wrong way. That's going to give her the wrong impression of what it really means to be a believer. And it's a hard calling because to think that, oh man, every single moment of my day, I have, to, I have to be a follower and I have to look like a follower. Yes! That's what Christianity is. That's what it is to be called. That's what it is to be a believer. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you know you've had a changed life, and then you do nothing with it, all you've got is a get-out-of-hell-free card. You didn't extend it. You didn't take it to other people and tell them about Jesus. And so, with this in mind, we're asking for some volunteers, right, in the youth. You have even more opportunity. We have need volunteers in children's. You have even more opportunity given you to hear at the church. There are some kids who come to our youth group whose parents don't go to church or know Jesus, but that kid does. And that's where I need your help. That's where the church comes together. And we love that student that doesn't have parents who are walking in the right way. This is our challenge as the church, is to love the community, to love our people in our church, and then go out of it, right? To go make disciples of all the nations, of all of Huntington, Bring them in and love them. And you, not only, you as a Christian and as a believer, don't only have a responsibility to your child, you have a responsibility to everyone in the church, to love our kids, to love our youth, so that they see Jesus and they want to glorify him. The last verse we're going to read today is probably the one that I want most to stick with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church. He's telling them how to live. He's saying, do the Lord's Supper this way. Walk in love like this. 
The section before it, he's talking about doing everything to the glory of God, everything that we do in our lives, let it glorify him. And then verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, he says the most bold statement I think any human makes in the Bible. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Can I say that this morning? Could you say that this morning? Can I look at Charlotte and say, one day, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We have to live our life like that is the goal. That you could look at someone and say, just follow me as I follow Christ and you're going to see him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of scripture. Father, I would ask that if there's someone in this room this morning that has no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to salvation and to discipleship and what that even looks like, God, that you would put it on their hearts to come and learn about that. And for those of us who know you this morning, Father, I would ask that you would put a burden on our hearts to be disciplers and disciple makers. God, that our actions in our workplace, our actions at home, our actions in the grocery store, wherever we are, our actions online, God, that those actions would be things that reflect you. And if it's not going to reflect you, God, help us to not do it. Help us to be imitators of you so that people can imitate us and know that you are God. Father, thank you for the love that you've poured out on us the love that you still give us and the grace you give us even when we don't do this. But Father, that you would just burden our souls so that we would follow you. Father, we love you. In your name I pray.